take our study to God's Word this morning. Go directly there. It's uh, to an amazing story, a story that gives comfort, a story that gives hope and encouragement, hopefully to all of us. I'm, I'm praying for all of us. So if you will, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be looking this morning at, verse, at a fairly small section, just verses 23 to 27, just five verses, but has a powerful, just a profound um, message for all of us this morning. I want to begin this morning by just reading verse 23, and then I'm going to set the background so that we can better understand the story that follows. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. And when he, of course the Lord Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Now, this is a continuation of what has already been a very full day for the Lord Jesus Christ. It began all the way in, in this gospel, back in chapter 5, when Jesus went up on a hill outside of the seaside town of Capernaum, and he gave his Sermon on the Mount. After that, he returned, came across the road, and returned to the city of Capernaum. He healed a leper. He healed the Roman centurion's slave. And a, a, of all people, he healed Peter's mother-in-law of an illness. And then as we move from on through the Gospel of Matthew to the point where we are, in chapter 8, in verse 16, we are told, if you'll turn back there with me, just turn the page or wherever you are, chapter 8, verse 16, and when evening had come, that same day, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill, all who were ill. And then after that, he gave orders to depart um, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But before he could even get into the boat, two other disciples came to him. And there he gave his teaching on discipleship from verses 18 to 22. And finally, we come to verse 23. He gets into the boat. But what a day he has had. And he is tired he is very, very tired. Exhausted would be a better word for it. And so he falls into a deep sleep in the boat as they set sail to cross the Sea of Galilee. Now we're going to pick up the story of what happens next, beginning in verse 24. Look there with me. And behold, there arose a great storm in the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he himself was asleep. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you timid, you men of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the men marveled, saying, What kind of a man is this, that even the winds and the sea Obey him. This story teaches us that wherever Jesus is, the storms of life become perfectly calm because no power on earth equals his authority to rescue us, 
to give us eternal hope and to create perfect peace in our hearts. There are four elements to this story. You have an outline in your bulletin if you want to refer to it. I didn't put any fill-ins there because sometimes we get so busy trying to find which line to put the fill-in on that kind of lose track of the story, and I don't want you to do that this morning, so I kind of put them there for you. The first element to the story is the threat. Verse 24, and behold, there arose a great storm in the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he himself was asleep. You know, the Sea of Galilee sits over 600 feet below sea level at the bottom of a huge rift in the earth's crust. The Jordan Rift Valley is the result of the meeting of two massive geological plates that run deep below the earth's surface on a north-south line that runs from Russia all the way to Africa. It's the deepest and longest rift on the planet. When the temperature and when other factors meets, the wind comes howling down through the steep canyons from all directions. It meets at the water and it violently churns it up just like there was a major earthquake. As a matter of fact, Matthew here uses that word to describe it. He used the word seismos from where we get the English word uh, seismograph, which is the measurement of an earthquake. And that's what he used. It was a great seismos. If you've ever been in a major earthquake, you know what that storm might have been like. Anybody here been in a major earthquake? It, it's a frightening thing. It really is. Cheryl and I were in a major earthquake in, well, where else? Los Angeles, right? And we were down there, and things began to shake and rock and roll. I mean, the light things are the, on the freeway. The, the freeway was undulating, and all the, uh, the signs and the fixtures were flipping back and forth, and windows were falling out of the buildings. It was scary. Well, it was a life-threatening event for the men in the boat. That's the threat. Second element of our story, the fear. Verse 25. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Save us, Lord. We're perishing. You know, that's kind of an amazing statement. Because the disciples, many of those disciples, probably most of them were fishermen. Many of them were probably expert boat handlers, good sailors who knew all about how to handle a boat in rough water, and they'd probably been in dozens of storms before that. Moreover, they knew that Jesus was not a sailor. He was a carpenter. He'd probably never handled a boat before and perhaps never even, even caught a fish. I mean, how could these experienced fishermen, when they had used all of their experiences and their skill to try and save themselves... And it wasn't working. The boat was full of water. It says the waves were coming over them, over the boat, crashing over their heads, and they were sinking. And there was absolutely nothing that they could do to save themselves. Death in their eyes was imminent. Completely at the end of their own resources, in which they had always had great confidence, they cast their only hope on Jesus and that takes us to element number three, the power. The disciples no longer thinking in terms of their ability to save themselves, they turn to Jesus. This man can do miracles. They'd seen that themselves. And so they said to him, Lord, save us. We're perishing. Meaning, 
do something, Lord. We're going to die, and we're afraid of that. How true. They were afraid because their faith was little faith. It was, I just want to live through the next few minutes faith. It was what a lot of military people call foxhole faith. My dad was a military man, and, and he used to tell me, son, there is no such thing as a, an atheist in a foxhole. Bombs are dropping all over you, and there's only one. You, you know that it's, the end is coming quickly or soon, and, and uh, the only one thing you can do is that made it, you don't know God, but you're going to pray to him anyway. I'm in a foxhole, and I'm about to be obliterated. Now, I don't know about that foxhole thing, but I do know this. And you know it too from your Christian experience. Difficult situations can produce strong faith, can't they? And I believe that's what Jesus is doing here. But his point right here is this. Fearful faith is little faith. That's why Jesus said, why are you so timid or afraid, you men of little faith? You see, the big idea of this story is that Christians have no cause to be afraid of death. The disciples in that boat had no right to fear, even if they did perish in the waves. Why? Because Jesus was the Son of God, and they were with him. R.H. Lenski put some light on this when he said, We have no promise that danger shall never plunge us into death just because we are Christ's own. In the counsel of God, it may be his will that we die. Then we should die with the mighty assurance that God's will sends us what is best. We should die in confidence, he said, without fear. The teaching here is we can be fearless Christians because we are protected by the power of God all the way to eternity. Turn to 1 Peter. I want to show you a couple of verses in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, and here it is, you who are protected by the power of, by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Protected by the power of God. How wonderful. You know, it's been said that man's greatest fear is death. But the Bible teaches us that faith in Christ saves us no matter what. Although we die physically, we do not die consciously. Let me take you to one of the verses that shows that. John chapter 11 John chapter 11, please. This, of course, is a story of the death and resurrection of Lazarus. He had two sisters, Martha and Mary. Lazarus has died physically. 
Jesus is on his way to the house. Martha and Mary discover that he's coming. Martha comes out to meet him. Verse 21 of John 11. Martha therefore said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, you know, whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus said to her this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And then to further clarify that, look at the very next verse. And everyone who, be, who lives and believes in me, say the words with me, shall never die. Do you believe this? Glory to God makes me almost want to dance. I think I've said that here before, haven't I? <laughs> You're all waiting for that, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm not going to, but I want to. I just want, just like these dancers and these singers up here, that is a thrilling, thrilling promise from the Son of God. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Oh. You know, the Apostle Paul said that the Christian's death is actually gain, which is why he said in 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory, and thanks be to God who gives us that, that victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, friends, the power to live is from him. And so clearly to make that point, Jesus stood up and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. Jesus revealed with one short, sharp command, Jesus revealed his omnipotent authority over the vast forces of nature, including death. Now, friends, listen, in the same way, Jesus quiets the storms in the hearts of all of his people because he said in Matthew 28, 20, and lo, I am with you how long? Always to the end of the age. And if he is with you always, his vast, limitless, and timeless power is also with you to see you all the way to your final destination, which is the eternal city of God. Does that not bring you joy? Yes. Praise to God. That's the application. You know, most of us have never been in a situation when you knew you were absolutely convinced that you were going to die. And there was absolutely nothing that you could do about it. I've been there a couple of times. Once when I was a police officer, that was my previous career a long time ago, I was held at gunpoint by a frantic, mentally disturbed woman who told me bluntly that I was the devil and that she was going to kill me. And the rifle that she held in her hand was pointed right at my head. Her finger was on the trigger. I remember that feeling of fear in my gut after pointing to my uniform, full uniform, the badge, everything, and telling her, look, I'm here to help her, help you. She simply said, I don't believe you. You're an imposter, and I'm going to kill you. At the time, I was not a Christian, and I thought, there's nothing more I can do. It's over for me. What a terrible place and time to die. 
I was 21. And I was afraid. That moment, there was another officer who came around the corner, got her attention, distracted her, and helped to talk her down. And he said, give that man your rifle. And she did. She stopped and handed me her rifle. I checked the safety. It was off. I pulled back the bolt, and out pops a 22 Magnum bullet into my hand. And I just stared at that thing, that thing that would have ended my life. And I decided to keep it as a reminder of how close I had come to death that night. I kept it for years to remind me of that event. I had a little jewelry box, and uh, I kept a little, few little keepsakes in there, and that's where that bullet went. And it was there for years. Surely never could figure out why that thing was in there. Friends, I want to tell you, I don't have that bullet anymore. I threw it away right after I received Christ as my Savior. Why? Because the Bible teaches us that hanging on to mortal life really isn't much of an issue for a Christian. We've got something so much better. We have eternal life. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, For we know that if this earthly tent is torn down, which is our house, We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You know, when you think about it, we have to die. Because Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. In other words, friends, we cannot get to heaven in these bodies. We need an imperishable body to get into heaven. Jesus displayed his power over nature that night to illustrate an important truth to every Christian from that time on. We are not to fear death. The power of God will keep you from it. That's his promise. So it's left for us to exercise fearless faith, trust in God, believe in him, live that truth all the way to the end. Jesus came to kill death and then to give everlasting life. That's the power. And so we have then the threat, we have the fear, we have the power. The final element to our story is the wonder and The wonder that filled those sailors in that boat that night should be the same wonder that fills our hearts. Verse 27. And the men marveled, saying, What kind of a man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? There was no way, friends, that those disciples could explain what Jesus had just done. No way. What had just happened went way beyond their understanding of normal. In the presence of a man who had such enormous power, they were reduced to a stark understanding of their own human limitations. What kind of a man is this? They asked. Answer, well, this is the man who created the universe. Go to those verses in just a second. This is the man who created a universe so large 
that at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, it will take you more than 4 billion light years to get from one end to the other. This man created that. This is the man who set it all in motion to create gravity so that while you don't even feel it, the truth is that you are sitting right now on the planet that is spinning at a thousand miles per hour. Do you feel it? No. Who was this man? This is the man who also put the world in motion around the sun so that in one year you will travel 580 million miles at a speed of 1,000 miles per minute and not even feel it. This is a man who created the sun whose energy is estimated to be the equivalent of 500 million, million, billion horsepower and there are at least 100,000 million other suns in the universe that produce more power than that. Who is this man? This is the man who created something so marvelous and so complex that a mere teaspoon of water contains a million, billion, trillion atoms which themselves are composed of still smaller particles of energy that we have yet to discover. Who is this? This is a man who created it all in just six days from nothing at all. Have you ever tried that? <laughs> Don't. Created it all in just six days. No spare parts, no chemicals, no failed experiments, no previous stuff of any kind, and nothing left over when he was done. How would you like to be in the same fishing boat with this man? Oh, yeah. Any storm. Okay. Because I know I'm safe with Jesus. So are you. You think a little storm would bother you then? Being in the same boat with a man like this. What kind of a man is this? Well, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. All things. Was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being by Him. All things. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And I pray that is you this morning. In Colossians 1, don't turn there, just let me read this one verse for you. We're told again through the Apostle Paul, he is the image of the invisible God. Firstborn of all creation, and by him 
All things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Friends, I pray that he has first place in your life this morning. Not just because he created these things, but because he is the son of God. The one who came at a certain point and place in time, who sympathized with the greatest need that man has ever had, and that is to be rescued from the power of death, Satan, the enemy of God, and to bring us into the kingdom so that we might enjoy learning about him and then enjoy living for him. I pray this morning that as we close our service with prayer, that we would understand so thoroughly the importance of this God-man in our own lives and that we would worship him and that we would never, never slow down or cease from, from, from learning about him and his power and his person who has blessed us so abundantly. That I can't wait to see him again, can you? And, you know, I don't care if, 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 uh, if this thing goes, you know, I, we go out here and get hit by a truck, and I don't think Shirley would be very happy, but, but I would. <laughs> Either that, you know. But Shirley, maybe just to save it all, maybe Jesus will come first. <laughs> good, good story, good for us. Absolutely the truth and good for our spiritual edification so that we might grow even stronger as a result of having worshipped even internationally with our Christian brothers and friends from across the ocean, from Montana and wherever else you have come from. We came from Ukiah, so it's not that far. <laughs> but you know, there's a, there's a song that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die on Calvary's tree from sin to set us free. And someday he's coming back. What glory that will be. Wonderful, his love for me and you. Pray. God our Father, what can we say but that you have given us your Son, your only begotten Son, that through understanding more about who he is and what he did for us at the cross, that we might know that the gospel is nothing but good news. And that we have, Father, heard that good news. We have studied the miracles that this man has done, but always there is that spiritual lesson behind it which teaches us more about who he is, what he's done for us individually and corporately in the church, and has brought us to that place where we can rejoice this morning, all Christians together, loving one another, loving you because you first loved us, thanking you for our salvation and thanking you for the wonderful privilege we have had of worshiping you this morning in which we even continue this moment. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Rick.